Welcome to the gathering at Adel. We're excited to have Pastor Jesse Tunnel share the message with us today. Please get out your Bible and turn to Isaiah chapter 55. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 55 if you want to go ahead and turn your Bible. I know you guys have been going through Philippians uh, over in Brock. We've been working our way through Isaiah and um, I just couldn't pass up this opportunity uh, for Isaiah chapter 55 with you. I feel like God has some special things for us. It's one of my favorites. In fact, this is not my normal preaching Bible. This is just kind of like a generic one I use for funerals and stuff like that because my Isaiah 55 is so highlighted, underlined, noted uh, that I could barely read the passage without being like, this, so I transitioned to a blank Bible today. I feel like uh, in the next few minutes, I really don't feel like God's desire is for me to teach you biblical knowledge, but for me to release in the spirit realm uh, some experiences and personal knowledge from my own heart. I think there is a difference. I think at times in our Western culture, we can lift up um, intellectual wisdom about the Bible and miss the opportunity to engage God through his word. So I'd rather take that, that approach this morning. Would that be okay with you? So we can just encounter some things together. If you don't mind, let's just go ahead and stand in honor of God's word. And we're going to read the entire chapter of Isaiah uh, 55. And then we'll come back through, work our way through it. I don't know about you. I have a title on my chapter that says, Invitation to the Thirsty. So I say, yes, Lord. Chapter 55, verse 1. Come, All you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that do not know you will hasten to you because of Yahweh your God, the Holy One of Israel. For he has endowed you with splendor. Seek Yahweh while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to Yahweh and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will freely pardon For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares Yahweh. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. 
Listen to this. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that comes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree, and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for Yahweh's renown for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. An invitation to the thirsty. What does it mean to be thirsty in the spiritual sense? What does it mean to be thirsty? In the physical sense, it means that we crave something to drink, or we talk about spiritual hunger. In the physical, it means we crave something to sustain our bodies. Uh, many, uh, I wouldn't say many, some of you who have, who have been Brock may have heard this, but uh, back in 2003, 2004, I was deployed with the Army to the Middle East, and, and uh, I have a picture somewhere of the thermometer at 128 degrees. And uh, 128 degrees, and there's no short sleeve uniforms in the military, right? You're, you're full uniform, full battle rattle. You got vest on, Kevlar helmet, weapon, ammunition. And at one point in our deployment, our um, supply lines were broken, and there became a severe shortage on water. We had to drink bottled water. We attempted to drink water. Uh, local water and our entire unit was sick and out of commission for a point in time. So we could only drink bottled water. And at one point in time, uh, each soldier was rationed to two 20-ounce uh, bottles of water per day. And when you're in that kind of environment doing that kind of work, it's nothing. And um, I remember there, there were times where we would scrounge around the kitchen hall and the backs of buildings, and we would take whatever water could be found because we were so intensely thirsty. That is the kind of thirst that I believe God is looking for from his church. As has already been spoken um, by Kelly this morning, a sense of desperation and desire uh, for what? For friendship with God. Listen, the heart of God is not just to have servants. The heart of God is to have friends, people to walk the earth with. How do we know that? you go back to the original intention of his heart in the Garden of Eden. What he wanted were partners who would walk with him, who would enjoy his presence and be productive in what he called them to do. And we see that all throughout the scriptures. That's why we see Enoch uh, in, listed in a, a mass of people who lived and had children and died and lived and had children and died. And then here's Enoch, and it says, but Enoch walked with God and was no more. 
meaning that God so enjoyed his presence, he took him from an earthly dimension into his glory. It's what uh, David enjoyed with God, a friend. It's what Moses enjoyed with God. The scripture says that he spoke with God face to face like a friend. Why? Because this is what God longs for. And a thirst in us is not just to be a good Christian or to sin less or to do the things that we know we're supposed to do. All those will be natural overflow and outflow if we'll get this one thing. If we thirst for intimate friendship with God. Are you thirsty for his presence today? Are you thirsty for more than what religion apart from God can offer you? Because for the little amount of desire and desperation we have for God, it pales in comparison to the matchless desire he has for us. You understand that from Genesis to Revelation and from Revelation to now, the whole message from God has been, I will do anything that it takes to have you back. I'll do anything it takes to have you back. Let's just, let's, can we just be honest today? Is there anybody here that's not as thirsty as they want to be for God. Would you just be willing to, and I'm, I'm raising my hand with you, would you just be willing to raise your hand in boldness and say, I'm not as thirsty as I want to be for God. Okay, it's, you don't have to, I'm just asking. Let's just pray for that, because here's how good our God is. Even our hunger for him is a gift from him. We can't even do that in and of ourselves, right? So let's ask him. Father, here we are. We want to hunger and thirst for you even more than we do. Though we may be the hungriest people on the face of the planet, we hunger to hunger more for you because you're worthy. So, Lord, we just ask right now by faith, and you said in 1 John 4 that if we ask according to your will, we know that you hear us. And if you've heard us, you will do what we've asked according to your will. We know that it's your desire because you said, seek me with all your heart. It's your desire because you said, come and be thirsty. So we're just bringing this before you. And right now, by faith, we receive an increased hunger and thirst. Father, I prophesy over each one in this congregation, over all those you've placed in spiritual authority under us, Father, that you would increase our hunger and desire for you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I hope that you'll receive that with expectation. May this week be filled with a fresh hunger and thirst for God's presence. All right, so what's our response to being thirsty? Right here in verse 1, Come all who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Can you say with me, come buy and eat? Ready? Come buy, eat. One more time. Come buy and eat. All right, the word buy, B-U-Y, right? Purchase. Come buy and eat. These are the three things we're going to briefly discuss uh, in our remaining time. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. The word come. 
Come, come to Yahweh your God. Come to Yahweh your God. All right, I need someone. Can I have a volunteer? I need a volunteer less than 12 years old. Volunteer less than 12. Anyone? It's not difficult. Anyone? Really? Nobody? Okay. All right. All right, Sam. All right. I need you to do this. Every time you hear me say the word come, I need you to hold up a finger. So you're going to go come. When I say come, you're going to count. All right. Okay. Can you do that? All right. Get your hand ready. All right. Like this. When, I, when you hear me say the word come, you're going to put up a finger. Second time, you get another finger. You got it? You got the program? All right. Let's read the first two verses in one sentence. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Okay, good job, bro. High five. Boom. All right. It's a little concern there. You know, homeschool math, sometimes we struggle. You did a great job, Sam. In basically two verses, in the first line of verse three, God is saying to us, come to me. Why? Because he's relational. He's saying, come to me. I want you. If you didn't know that God wanted you today, I hope that that comes across real clear in this passage. God wants you. He doesn't just want you for what you can offer him because he doesn't need what you can offer. It's grace that he uses the petty things we bring, right? He wants you because he wants you. He wants your heart. He wants relationship. He wants friendship. There's two ways to come to God in this passage, and it's based on your current relationship with him. The first one is time spent. If you want to say, if you're like me, you're like, hey, I, yeah, I get it, come, but what does that look like? Number one, time spent, spending time with the one you love. Look at verse three. It says, give ear and come to me, hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. He's saying, listen to me and come to me, receive my love, be in covenant relationship with me. And then you, let's look at verse six. Seek Yahweh while he may be found, call on him while he is near. Basically, God is almost, if you would, begging us, saying, please come, please seek me, come and enjoy my covenant with love. I'm near to you right now. I'm available to be found by you. Would you please come and seek me? So I would encourage you this week, spend time with the one you love. There is no relationship on the earth or above that will ever be established without time and communication. And God is a person, no different. We are made in his image. He is a person. He has emotions. He has heart. He has affection. And he longs to be loved. And he longs to be spent time with. And so I just would encourage you, let me just ask you straight up, are you spending time with God? 
Are you taking time to be alone with him? If you're struggling in this area and you just want a fresh breath of God or a spark, I'm reading through this book. It's called The Secret Place by Angus Buchan. If you saw the movie Faith Like Potatoes, that's the story of his life. Um, but uh, he writes this book about the secret place, about how important time uh, alone with God is. And I wanted to read just a brief portion uh, off uh, page 89. And the, the subtitle is Never Too Busy to Talk. And, and it said, he wrote here, The creator of heaven and earth is wanting to have fellowship with you every single day. And he is such a gracious God. Get this, man, this was just, it got me. And he is such a gracious God. He is even prepared to take your leftovers. Even if you give him only half an hour, he will gladly take it. The amazing thing is that we are prepared to give time to other people, some of whom we don't even know. But when it comes to the one who died on the cross, the one who gave us eternal life, the one who gave us new hope, the one who canceled all our sins, we are often too busy to speak to him. We must rectify this if we want to have a life that is full and abundant. Isn't that amazing? And I don't think that's a condemnation kick in your face but it is a little bit right there that says, he is so gracious, he will even take our leftovers. And it's so true. He's so kind to us. Does he deserve the first fruits of every morning? Absolutely. But I want to encourage you, if you're not spending time, he'll take your leftovers. If you'll give him five minutes in the first part of your day or five minutes at the end of the day, he'll take it and he'll grow it. Just don't let that be the standard. Don't get satisfied uh, I was reading this book yesterday in our family devotion, actually, and it talked about spending time with Jesus is like sitting down to a good meal where you can savor the taste of every bite and slowly digest the food, which will bring health to your body. But many of us, we have a fast food relationship with God where we're running through the drive-thru, we're grabbing it, we're shoving it in our face because we got somewhere to go and a place to be. And it doesn't nourish us and it really doesn't even taste that good and it's not that enjoyable. We just put it in there because it's a habit of eating. We don't want that kind of relationship with Jesus, right? So give him the time to sit down and savor the time with him, right? Which means what? You're going to have to go to bed earlier. You're going to have to adjust your lifestyle to be able to have the discipline to give them the time that's required. But who here has ever regretted time spent alone with Jesus? I haven't. He's so good. So uh, spend time with him. Uh, have quiet times. Take walks with God. Uh, go to your prayer closet. If you don't have a prayer closet, you should because it wasn't a suggestion of Jesus. Jesus said, when you pray, go into your closet and shut the door. It doesn't have to be fancy. It's just a place that you can go be alone with God. Take your lunch breaks with God. Uh, choose to turn off the radio driving to work and commune with God. These are practical, simple ways that you can spend some time with the God you love and who loves you. Um, Let's just, uh, let's just stop right here, and let's take an opportunity to commit to God. If you feel led by the Spirit, I don't want to be ever accused of manipulating you in any way if you don't. But if you feel led by the Spirit to commit yourself to spending time 
more time with God. Let's just take a moment of silence for you to commit that to him. Okay. The second way that we can come to God based on uh, our current relationship with him is through repentance. Some of you are walking with God and you just want to walk closer with him. It's wonderful. Some of you are walking in rebellion towards God in certain aspects of your life. So for you to come to God would mean that you turn from where you're going to come back to him. We see that here in verse 6. Seeks the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord Yahweh and he will have mercy on him and to our God and he will freely pardon For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. God wants to deposit a kingdom way of living and thinking, but he can't do that when we're walking in an opposite direction from him in parts of our lives. So part of coming to him is turning in repentance. Is there anybody here that needs to repent? Because I've got good news. It's written right here. For he will freely pardon, and Yahweh will have mercy on him or her. All right? Anyone need to repent? Let's do that. Let's take a moment. If you need to repent, turn. The word repentance literally means, in the original language, to change the way you think. It's an action of the mind that changes the action of the lifestyle. If you just need to repent to the Lord, say, Lord, turning back to you turning towards you, want to walk with you. All right, good job. And we know what the scripture tells us about God when he sees a son or a daughter turning. He sees us from far off and he runs to meet us. And he puts a robe on our nakedness. He puts a ring on our finger that says, you're my son, you're my daughter. And he has the feast. He kills the fattened cow because there's nothing he wants more than to be with you. All right, number two, if you're riding this down, uh, by. Come by. All right. By, what does that mean? To exchange a currency for something of value. To exchange a currency for something of value. Let's read verse 1 here again. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come by and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. All right. So God is saying here, There's going to be an exchange happening. You're going to bring to me a form of currency in exchange for something I want to give you, right? Come buy and eat. However, the currency is not going to be what we normally think it is. And why do we say that? Because God establishes, come buy, but without money. It says without cost, the the word literally means without payment. That word cost is a poor translation. It's payment or or price or transaction. So he's saying, come, but don't come with me money in the way that you would normally buy things, in the way that you normally think. Come and buy with a heavenly currency. And so I want to ask you today, what is the currency of God's kingdom? What is the currency of God's kingdom? And I want to challenge two religious thoughts that are often uh, part of our upbringing if you were brought up in church or in a religious institution. Um, One of them is a currency that we often try to come God with that he's not interested in. 
is intellectual knowledge about who he is. Now, is it important to read the Bible to know who God is, what he's like? Absolutely, but what's the point of that? To come into relationship with him. But there has been a system developed in the church, especially in the Western culture, where we have so much emphasis on knowing things in our intellect that we've missed out on encountering the presence of God. And so I want to challenge you today. He told the Pharisees, you, you read and you search the words of God, the prophecies, right? Like, you take your Bible, you read and you search it, but it doesn't bring you any life. Think about that. Why? Because the Pharisee was reading so that they could know and be right, not be with him. So I want to encourage you. God doesn't want you to come with all this knowledge that you have about what he does and, and this command and that command. Those are not the primary reasons that he's going to have an exchange with you. And we see that all throughout the Old and New Testament. The second thing that I think we normally say, well, this is what I'm going to come and offer to God, but I don't think he's interested in, in this exchange, is this notion that we see in Mary and Martha, which is self-effort. Like we, we've, we've often come to this place with God in which we have a relationship that says, if I do enough for God, then he will accept me and love me. If I do all the right things, he will love me. If I serve him well, then he will accept and love me. And then we will have this intimate relationship. Really? Really? Because were you not loved and accepted by God through the blood of Jesus before you could do a thing? What you did did not earn you his love. Therefore, what you do will not keep you in his love. Now, if we love him, Jesus told us, if anyone loves me, he will obey my commandments. But obey, obedience will be the overflow of our heart's affection. But if you're trying to obey yourself into love with God, you're going to find a dry, brittle existence as a Christian. Because it's short-circuiting the way God intended his kingdom to run. So you don't come with knowledge in and of itself, and you don't come with your own self-effort. We see that. When Martha was saying, Jesus, tell Mary to get up and help me serve you. <laughs> right? And Jesus said, I won't because she's chosen the better thing. To sit at my feet. To be in a relationship with me. To be in the moment. Right? So if it's not knowledge and if it's not self-effort, then what is it? The currency of God's kingdom, I believe, in the whole of Scripture and in this passage is humility and obedience out of an expression of love. When he says, come to me, buy, exchange, even the things I've given you, bring it as an exchange of currency to receive from me, what is it? It is humility, humbling ourselves before the Lord. In fact, if there are any of you people who are studying the Hebrew language, this passage was written in the Hebrew language, the Hebrew word for buy at its base root means to be brokenhearted. Interesting. The word for buy means to be brokenhearted, means to be at a low place. And that's why Jesus said, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am humble and gentle of heart. 
we see a humility about Jesus that attracted the world to him. And it was great intense power under the self-control of humility and meekness. And this is the currency of God. Over and over, he tells us in the, in the scriptures, humble yourselves before the Lord. Humble yourselves before the Lord. God opposes the proud, but exchanges grace for the humble, right? So I want to encourage you to humble yourself. What does that look like? That can look like a myriad of things. But I, I just want to tell you, the way that you gain humility is time in his presence, because a man in the presence of God will always be brought low. And it's not brought low as in you're a nothing kind of thing, but it's in acknowledgement of who I am, you will recognize who you are. In fact, if you struggle with humility, you probably struggle with being still in God's presence. Because a man does not, or a woman does not walk around with a haughty, self-affectionate uh, attitude when they're often in the presence of Jesus. So I would encourage you, humble yourselves. A very practical way to do that is for those of you who are able by your body, when you wake up in the morning, fall on your knees before God. It's such a um, physical posture of humbling ourselves that it will help us in a humble lifestyle. And obedience as an expression of love, being willing and, and it's, so when we're coming to him, what we're bringing to him is willingness and humility. Don't we see that in Jesus? We see a, a man willing to become a man of sorrows, willing to become a man of suffering from his place in glory in order to walk in relationship with God and be productive for the kingdom. Okay? So humility and obedience. Can we just take a brief moment and commit those things to the Lord if you feel led by the Holy Spirit. Let's just take a, a moment of silence. God, would you create in us a humility that is real and not contrived? God, give us a heart that's willing to do anything and everything you say. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, man, I just realized that you guys are 1130 people. All right, I'm, I'm going to move through this one quickly. I really did. I did. Last time I made an intention, I'm going to shorten things to be out in the time you're normally. We're 12 o'clock people over at Brock, so um, we'll get a middle ground here. It'll be quick. Three, let's uh, close with this one. Come by, eat. Number three is eat. We see that in verse 1, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy milk and wine without money and without cost. The Hebrew word for eat is akal, and get this, this is just like God. When he says to you, come, bring your humility and your willingness in exchange, I'm going to give you myself and I want you to eat, the Hebrew word literally means to devour to consume, to dine in plenty, and to feast. So when God says, come to me, buy what I have to offer you and eat, he's not saying, hey, have a little taste, 
have a little nibble, have an hors d'oeuvre of my presence. No, he's saying, come with your humility and your willingness, and I will exchange with you my presence. And what I want you to do, I want you to feast. I want you to consume. I want you to eat until you're full. You cannot exhaust the glory of his presence. It doesn't matter how much you pursue him, enjoy him, consume him, uh, wrap yourself around him. You're never going to get tired because he never comes to an end. Yesterday, uh, my mother-in-law, who we live next to, made this fantastic meal. She made spaghetti with homemade meatballs, Jill uh, roasted broccoli and asparagus. She made homemade bread and homemade peach cobbler. And last night, we had been working out on the property throughout the day. I was hungry. We skipped lunch. I sat down at the table, and I devoured some food. I mean, it was so good. I kept telling her, this is so good, Carla. Because I came hungry. It tasted so good. And I devoured in that place. And, and I think that this is what God is longing for us to do. The presence and the love of God is the one place in which we are encouraged to have excess. Right? Moderation in everything. Did anybody else grow up uh, with that? your dad telling you that? And I think that's a good biblical principle too. Moderation in everything. I'd just like to add a caveat, a caveat there. Moderation in everything except the presence of God. Indulge yourself. Feast. Have all you want because there'll be more. You don't, you don't have to be uh, timid at the table of God. You can come with great confidence because he has prepared a feast for you in the presence of your enemies. And he wants you to devour. Look at verse two, it says, listen, listen to me. He says it twice. Like, like sometimes we need to hear this. Like put, put his hands on your face like your kids do. Listen to me, listen to me and eat what is good. The word good here is the Hebrew word tob. And listen, it means good in the wildest sense, better, best, bountiful. Here's the deal. What God is offering you in his presence, do you remember what the psalmist said? In his presence is endless joy, endless pleasures forevermore in his presence. What the table he has set for us, if we'll just be willing to scoot up to the table and take to dine, to dine there, is, is more good than we can imagine and dream of. It says good in the wildest sense, the best, the better. He's bountiful. Why? Why is it so good? Because it satisfies and delights our soul. That's what it says right there, right? Second part of verse two. Eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. The, the word soul here in the Hebrew is the word nefesh. And, and what it means is your appetites. It's the, you got your body, soul, and spirit, right? 
body, spirit, we understand soul is our appetites, it's our thoughts, it's our mindsets, our, our physical and our, our emotional appetites, our desires, our lust, not always in a bad way, that word, but the, you, you see what I'm saying, our desires. He's saying your soul, the lust, the things that often take you away from me, those desires that you have as a human being that I created, those will be satisfied in my presence. That's why I believe Moses can go on the mountain and not eat or drink for 40 days. How is that possible? Because the presence of God satisfied every appetite he had. There is no appetite you have that the presence of God cannot satisfy. If you'll let him. I really felt led by the Spirit. I wrote this down. Some Christians are the most unsatisfied and undelighted people I know. Some Christians are the most unsatisfied and undelighted or delightful people I know. Do you know some of those? Why? Because they're feasting at the wrong table. They're feasting at the wrong table. They're trying to satisfy their desires with things of the world and the world's table will never satisfy anyone that's tasted the glory of God. You can try, but it will not do it. All right, so how do we uh, eat? What's the, the practical application? How do we eat, feast at God's table? Number one, remain in his presence. We see this verse four. It says, um, See, I have made him, actually, sorry, verse 6, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. This word seek here literally means to frequently tread and to diligently search. If you want to know how to eat from the, ta from the tasty table of God, it's this, stay in his presence. I can't remember who, but one of the teachers I was listening to said uh, a number of years ago, it's always stuck with me, you linger for what you long for. You linger for what you long for. Moses, Elijah, Jesus, David, what did all these powerhouses of the kingdom of God, the apostle Paul, uh, Peter, what do all these powerhouses uh, have in common? They were people that took time in solitude to remain in God's presence. It wasn't a touch and go thing with them. It was a lifestyle of being in God's presence. So if you want to learn to eat at the table of God, go and spend time remaining. Tread frequently, the word means, to diligently search in the presence of God. Um, yeah, so let's do that. The second way that we can very practically eat is to devour God's word. Devour God's word. Verse 10 and 11, as the rain and the snow, this is such a beautiful passage. Think about this. As the rain and the snow, he's comparing his word to precipitation. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purposes for which I sent it. 
Listen, when you consume the word of God, when you choose to day in and day out eat it, it's like water from heaven. Did you know that water never expires? You can't make water and you can't destroy water. It's in a continual cycle from God. It comes from God, it settles into the earth, it evaporates, it goes back to God, and he sends the rain over and over. In the same way, this is the way his word is. It never stops doing its work. He's sending his word down through the scriptures, through the Holy Spirit. We're consuming it. It's being deposited in of it. It's going out of us to the world. He's receiving the glory again, and it's returning in a cycle. Let me ask you, are you budding and nourishing by the word of God, or are you dry and crispy because of lack of it? bud and nourish. And, and, and the word of God is meant to be highly productive. It says it's like the rain. It gives seed to the sower, the one out there sowing, and bread to the eater. What does that mean?